All right. Um, I love humor. Especially when you got to preach the sermon that I got to preach this morning. Okay. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in our nation right now, right? Um, so I wanted to um, address <clears throat> a particular issue this morning that uh, could be heavy, but it doesn't have to be. And I want to do so because of the relevance of the scriptures and to highlight just how the scriptures are sufficient to deal with every problem we face as, as, as God's creatures in general. But more importantly, for those of us who believe uh, in the inspired word of God as God's people, that we might know how to respond in such a way as to glorify him, despite what we're facing as, as, as a nation and in our communities. And so what I wanted to talk to you this morning about is a Christian response to racial tension. A Christian's response to racial tension. And um, of course you guys are well aware of what's going on in the NFL right now and how there are many protesting um, there. But I think that's a, a microcosm of what's happening with us as a nation. Um, and then, more importantly, I think Facebook. You know, what's going on on Facebook is, uh, could be pretty disturbing at times. So, uh, the text we're going to be looking at, the primary text will be James chapter 2. So if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures this morning, brothers and sisters. Just bear with me. Um, this is my style. I think you guys seeing it coming from the pages of scripture is the best way to approach any subject that we face. All right, so we're going to be turning to a lot of scriptures. And for an outline, this is what we're going to be doing this morning, or at least this is the way I'm going to handle this topic. First, we're going to deal with defining racism, and we're going to do that biblically. And I want to identify there the core issue behind racism, the core issue behind racism from the Word of God. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's disposition towards racism, what God thinks. And I want to show you the character of God as it relates to this matter, okay? And then the third thing I want to do is give you an antidote for racism, all right? And then the fourth thing, if we have time, and this is the meat of the, the sermon, you guys, but I don't think we're going to get here. I know. Yeah, I know. I, but I, I got to do a lot of explaining, though. This makes it difficult for a pastor, right? But I want to give you eight principles for how to handle Racism, and I want to apply it to the particular issues with the Black Lives Matter movement and cops. Okay? So I want to apply it specifically. These principles that I'm going to give you, I want to apply it specifically to that particular issue. But it applies to so many other issues that we might face as a people group. Amen? But again, I don't know if we're going to get there, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to James chapter 2, and this will be our launching uh, scripture. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, like Pastor Doug, (laughs) that wasn't the word of God. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Wow. That's also not in the word of God. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. Let me read that again. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Let me just interject something here. So the point that James just made is if you show partiality, you're sinning. So whether the issue, you know, how we talk about, we highlight the homosexuals, we highlight the murderers, you know, in our community and all these, these are the real sinners, right? But James is saying, if you do this, you're just as bad as those. So let's get that clear, right? It's that serious. It's that important. All right? Uh, Verse 9, or verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. And Lord, we know that there is no greater resource that we have than your word. The very breath of Almighty God, the heart and the mind on a matter, on many matters. And God, we are so privileged to have our eyes open to value it for what it truly is your word. And we pray, oh God, I pray, especially for myself, that you would help me to rightly handle it, that I might faithfully represent 
not only your kingdom, Lord, but most importantly, who you are and how you relate to us as creatures and how you relate to us as sinners in light of who you are, that we might have hope, that we might have clarity, that we might know how to behave as we face other sinners such as us with different sinning styles. God, we need you. We need your mind. We need your heart. We need your power. And so we look to you because you are true and living this morning. We look to exalt you and magnify you through the preaching of your word and more importantly, through obeying it. And so we call upon your name. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to obey. We love you, God, because you have first loved us in Christ and given him a ransom that we might all see you for who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I'm just going to talk to you. Okay, this is a family matter. And um, it's very important. Now before we get into that topic, I just want to say some uh, things off topic. Last week I talked, this is totally off topic here. Last week I told you that we, we were going to discontinue going through this book, but we shouldn't. I, you know, I was thinking about it throughout the week, and I was like, man, I know there was something about this book that I really liked a lot. You know how you're reading a book, and then you lose interest, and you're like, ah, forget it, let's change. And then you get to that point to where you, you, you picked up the book in the first place? That happened to me last week. So we're, we're going to be keeping this book for our evening gatherings, all right? And we're going to be dealing with you know, one of the golden chapters in this book, chapter 7. So that's an that's a inside uh, story for those of you who are members of EGBC. And if you want to be a member of EGBC, we'll let you know what we mean by all this, okay? So that's that. Then the other thing I wanted to say um, before we get into the subject this morning is I'm probably going to offend people. I've even offended myself this week doing this uh, study. But um, know this, brothers and sisters, my heart is not to offend anyone. My heart is to get to the truth according to the word of God and present that in love that we all might be unified around the truth of God's word. All right? And so if you're offended by what I say this morning, um, I would ask that you would do me the, the service and communicate with me and let's talk. All right? I promise I won't... Um, be unchristian. Okay? Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to define racism this morning. And I want to do that by giving you two definitions, first and foremost. The first definition I'm going to give you is a worldly definition, the way the world thinks about racism. You you ready for this? Okay, this is the way the world thinks about racism. Racism is prejudice and discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race or ethnicity based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Okay? 
Is that fair? Uh, that's, that, that makes sense, right? Let me read that again. Racism is prejudice and discrimination or antagonism. Antagonism just means hostility towards. Directed against someone of a different race or ethnicity based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Okay? So basically, what we're talking about here is a, a prejudice or bias that leads to mistreatment of others who are not of the same race or ethnicity. Okay, make sense? And we all get that, right? Now, I want to say something about that definition, and then we'll define it biblically. Now, that's not a bad definition, but for most of you who know your Bibles, the Bible teaches that there's only one what? Race, right? There's only one race, not many races. Okay, we Christians believe that there's only one race and one blood, And that race is the human race, and we're all made in the image and likeness of God, period. All right? That's what the scriptures teach, and that's what Christians believe. Okay? And so when we talk about race, we need to define that now, right? You guys guys understand? Because we're not going to use the world's mindset here. We're going to renew our minds, and we're going to think biblically about the subject. So just exactly what are we talking about when we talk about race now from a Christian worldview? If race is the whole human race, right? And then we talk about racism, we're really talking about what? And that's where I want you to hone in on here. Um, when, we, when the Bible speaks of racism, we are talking about the age-old problem of showing partiality or favoritism. Okay? When the Bible speaks of racism, what's behind that, what we're really talking about, is the age-old problem with the human race of showing what? Partiality or what? Favoritism. Okay? Now, in the case of the race thing, it has to do with skin color, ethnicity, and so on and so forth, right? But what we're really dealing with, brothers and sisters, is what? Partiality. Let's make that clear. Not skin color, not so much national, ethnic groups, partiality. You guys tracking with me? Now let me ask you, how many people in the room have a problem with partiality? Raise your hands. And if you don't raise your hand, you got a problem with lying too. (laughs) So there's a double whammy, right? Okay? So we ain't here to judge, we ain't here to pick fights, we ain't here to get into blame-shifting thing and all that satanic stuff, you know. The woman you gave me and hiding and running and covering and blaming, that kind of stuff. No, we can talk about the issues as Christians, right? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can talk openly and honestly and truthfully about it. We all struggle with partiality, don't we? Okay? That's what I want to really talk to you about. And then let me say this before I go on as well. You know, the Bible is designed to address the heart of men, not the external realm. So we can, you know, be like behavior modificationist, you know, where we just modify our behavior, but we're not dealing with our what? Heart. See, if we stay in the world of skin color and and nationality and all this other stuff, we're not going to address our what? Hearts. And we'll we'll just cast stones at one another based on skin color, based on ethnic group, based on nationality, right? But see, what the Word of God does is the Word of God searches the heart and tries the rein. 
Remember last week we talked about Jesus said, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. And in vain they worship me, exchanging for the word of God, the doctrines and commandments of men, right? But God's word addresses the heart. And that's what I'm doing to us this morning. So the first thing I want you to understand is we're all gonna be guilty of this stuff. If you're a human and you're a fallen sinner, you're gonna be guilty of this stuff. So get ready, right? But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, I plead with you, I urge you this morning, Get in Christ. Flee to Christ. This sin is just another sin that's going to convict you to show you that you need Jesus. It's just another brick in the wall. All right? So when we're talking about racism, you guys, I want you to think in terms of partiality. Partiality or favoritism. That's what James is going after here, and that's what James is forbidding. That's what James says when he says, My brothers, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, and be this way, partial, showing favoritism. Now, let's, let's break it down a little further. The term partiality, because I don't know how many of us actually use that terminology, right, in our day, has to do with being biased or prejudiced in favor of or against a person or group to the point of mistreatment or oppression. I know that was a mouthful, but you want me to read it again? Okay. The term partiality has to do with being biased or prejudiced in favor of or against a person or group to the point of mistreatment or oppression. Okay? So, what we're really talking about in the term racism, as already stated, is showing favoritism or discrimination with those whom we have a bias towards or against for whatever the reason. Okay? Now, in the case of race, it's, you know, skin color. But the point is, what we're really talking about is biases that we all tend to have that move us, right? Okay? So let me give you some other reasons why we can be partial or prejudiced besides what we're calling race. You guys with me? Okay, you guys ready? So... For example, in James chapter 2, he gives this example. For if there should come into you or assembly a man in gold rings and fine apparel, a rich man. So James, James here, brothers and sisters, James is talking about rich and poor. That has nothing to do with skin color. But you see what's at work in this situation, though, is being partial. Beginning to favor the guy who comes in because he got the bling bling going on, right? And then the poor man has nothing to really offer you. So you just say, ah, sit here. And you mistreat him. See it there? Okay, so James highlights that, and I would call that preferential treatment based on socioeconomic status. Is that fair? Okay, so that's an example of that, right? And numbers, and I wanted to turn here, but we're not going to have time to do that. Miriam and Aaron speak against their brother Moses because he married a black woman, straight up, from Ethiopia right? That's showing preferential treatment or for what? Possibly skin color, or it could be national or ethnic stuff going on there, right? But you see the prejudice there? You understand? Um, You get it when you see the Jews and Samaritan in Jesus' days where the Jews don't eat with who? The Samaritans, right? Why? 
This stuff, partiality, prejudice, sin nature, stuff in our hearts that's there, that shows itself in many ways besides skin color and ethnicity. You got religious prejudice, right? The Jews or, or thinking that they're better than the rest of the world because of God's favor towards them and giving them certain things. Some of the Jews, not all of them, right? Not all of them. And they began to look down on who? The Gentiles. And I really want to highlight that later on because that's a gospel issue, okay? Um, you see that with Peter. God's people even struggled with this, right? Uh, Galatians chapter 2, Peter uh, uh, kind of um, showed this bias when, when Jews would come that he, he refused to eat with Gentiles, okay? That's this stuff right here that James is talking about. You see it in the Old Testament with kings. You know, they see beautiful women come into town and they, they want to make them a part of their what? Harem. Or their, their whatever it is they're doing, right? And Abraham even feared that with his beautiful wife, Sarah. Because he thought Abimelech was going to kill him for his wife. Okay? This preferential treatment that begins to hurt other people. We are that way as sinners. Mark that down. Everyone in this room. If we don't watch our hearts and check ourselves, we can do this to our fellow human being. You guys do realize that, right? My personal experiences with this, when I was in high school, I used to favor beautiful girls on campus. I didn't know why, I just did. I don't like that about myself. And I don't even want to share the other side of the story because I'm too embarrassed about my sin and how it blinded me to this reality. And what I did to some of my um, classmates that I regret. Um, I have shown favoritism towards poor people and despised rich people. I've done that. I've seen it in my heart when God helped me to realize what I'm teaching you guys right now. I was like, man, I really don't like rich people. I had to come to terms with that. I was reading James, and, I was, and, and it says here, don't you know that the rich drag you into this? And I'm like, wait a minute, but there's nothing wrong with being rich. Abraham was rich. King Solomon was rich. David was rich. So, hey, James is not condemning being rich here. There's a context in which he's speaking. But I found my heart beginning to favor the poor and despise the rich. And I had to check myself. Because that's a form of what we would call racism. You guys understand? You guys tracking with me? See the stuff here? Forget the external stuff, whether it's about skin color or this, that, and the other thing. It's here, right? Here's another... um, well, let me turn you to a couple of passages. Could I have someone turn to Leviticus 19.5 and another person turn to Exodus 23.3? And the brother who turns, or sister who turns to Leviticus 19.15, if you can read that when you get there. Whoever, yeah, 19.15. And then another brother or sister read for me Exodus 23.3. And I just want you guys to hear this. From the Old Covenant, by the way. So Leviticus 19.15 says this, You shall do not, or you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person 
of the mighty. In righteousness, you should judge your neighbor. Hear that? Yeah, that's it. Under the old covenant, God made it clear to the nation of Israel, when you set up your judges and your rulers, they're not to be partial. You're not to favor the poor because he's what? Or the rich because he's what? You judge righteously. According to the standard here. Get it? Exodus 23.3. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yep. Exodus 23, 3, it says this. You shall show or you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Yeah. That's, now, I had to read that because that was the temptation for me. I thought everybody who was poor, we, I, I should favor. But there are poor people that can be just as what? Unjust. You know? It's one of my struggles working with the homeless, by the way. Okay, no offense. But let's get real. A lot of those people who are homeless are homeless by choice. And there's some issues going on with their hearts before the Lord. There's a lot of rebellion and pride and anger and defiance and sinner stuff going on in there that has nothing to do with Okay, why they're in poverty in terms of, you know, their, their economic status. You understand that? They're rebelling against authority, society, and God. And if you didn't know that, you need to know that. So you can be more balanced with the homeless. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't favor them just because they're homeless. Tracking with me. Don't do things like just give them money. They'll take that money and do what with it? Right. Keep them high. For those who are out there because of their drug addiction. And we'll talk more about that. But, so, you guys get the point, right? So, in our definition, in a, from a Christian perspective, from a Christian worldview... We see the problem, right? The problem is partiality. Okay? And we all have a problem with that, don't we? And we all have to watch ourselves when it comes to this issue in our hearts. Because we confess when we became a Christian, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's me. I'm the problem. It ain't them. It ain't, it ain't the woman you gave me. It's, it's me, Lord. I agree with your law. I agree with your holiness. It's me. Save me. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Okay? And if you do that with God, He'll show you mercy. Because He's a forgiving God. Right? And He says, Whosoever calls upon Him, He will in no wise, what? Cast out. But you've got to agree with him. And you've got to confess. And you've got to be willing to turn from your sin and be honest with God if you're going to receive his grace. All right? That's how you need to understand repentance if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. But he's not going to serve you on your terms. 
He's going to serve you according to his holiness. And the fact that he's God and he's the sovereign one. And he's not going to bow for anyone. All right? He's holy and he's righteous and he's just. And he demands perfection because that's his standard. That's, that's the air he breathes. That's the, that's the world he lives in. That's who he is. He's perfect. Right? That's our God. Amen? So let me show you something about this God and his disposition towards racism. And that brings us to our second point here. Um, just want to turn you to several passages to highlight this attitude in God's character. So the first one is Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 11, and then Colossians 3.25. So Romans chapter 2, verse 11. You didn't have to turn there, um, but you can. I'm just going to be way ahead of you here. Ver- Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Let me pick it up in verse uh, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? That's, that's uh, the Apostle Paul here speaking to um, mankind that likes to think that they're better than the rest of mankind who's sinning. Primarily in this case, he's going to you know, highlight the Jew because the Jew had all these goodies from God, right? As a, as a nation, as a people group. Law of Moses, you know, the commandments and, and, and the temple and so on and so forth. Um, In verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Why? Verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. Okay? That's why. God does not show partiality. He is impartial. He is just. 100% perfect. He is what we would call fair. Okay, Colossians 2, let's look at it in a different context. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about how Christians ought to get along in society and primarily in the workplace. And um, he's saying that uh, we shouldn't be on the job uh, doing eye service. You guys know what eye service is? I did eye service for years, man. You know, the boss was looking and you know what? I was the best worker in the place. And then the boss was gone, and you know what I was doing? My own thing. I, I, I'm not boasting about that. I'm just saying that's Ernie King as a sinner. I had to mature as a worker, a Christian worker. And I start living before God, who sees me all the time, right? And I said, Lord, I got to obey my boss, whether he's there or not. Can't be doing this eye service thing. Uh, Colossians 20, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3:25. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That's why wives, you submit to your husbands. It's fitting to the Lord. That's who you're serving now. That's your master. Forget our culture and what they're telling you to do. Husbands, you love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Hear that, husbands? And you do that to the Lord first. Children, 
you're thrown in the mix here too. Obey your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing to who? The Lord. This is how we do it in the church. This is how we do it as Christians. This is how we serve our God. Okay? We all are mutually submitted to the Lord. Children, husbands, wives, you name it. When we become believers, we mutually submit ourselves to God and we serve Him like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. There it is, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. That's what happens to you when you become a Christian. You start fearing God and it affects the way you live on the job. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Man, Paul's actually talking like God actually sees and exists. What is he doing? He's actually thinking like God sees us on the job and God sees us when we're doing church. (laughs) He does. Right? Watch. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no what? Hear that? God is not a respecter of persons, brothers and sisters. If there's anything that the Bible makes clear about the character of God, and there's a lot of things that the Bible makes clear about the character of God, but that he is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism. This is why Cain was rejected when he came to God with his offering. Lord, Lord, accept me based upon how well I tilled, you know, I farmed and I got the best fruit and, and here it is, Lord, you please accept me. And God says, nope. That's not my standard for acceptance. I'm not going to stoop down to meet you on your terms. And Cain gets really what? angry. But you know what Cain's doing? Cain is challenging God's, what? Character. Authority. You understand that? See, if God did respect Cain in his offering, God would have to come off his throne and his holiness and his standard for acceptance. But God maintains that because God is not going to compromise that. Otherwise, he would not be just or God. Thank you. Right? So let's not play games with God. Let's not do that. God is no respecter of persons. And brothers and sisters, this is seen in the gospel. We'll get there in a minute. But I want to turn you to two other passages here that highlight this. God's disposition towards partiality in the church. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I actually want you guys to turn here. You guys know Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is part of what we would call the pastoral epistles, where Paul, as an itinerant church planner, missionary, if you want to call him that, would go around, he'd get men, he'd set up churches, and he'd make sure that they're doing well, and he would establish these churches with good, solid leaders according to the Word of God. Timothy's one of those guys. Titus was another one of these guys, right? And that's where in these epistles you'll find the qualifications for elders and leaders. And it's Paul giving it to these two men. And so I want you to first look at 1 Timothy chapter 5.21 just to highlight this so you can kind of get a broad context of the book, right? Or the, the, the epistles themselves. 
Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5.21. It's probably 2 Timothy chapter 5. Nope. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5.21. Okay. Before you go there, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. And I want to show you why Paul's writing these things to Timothy. Watch this. Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. Where? In the house of God, which is what? The church of the living God, which is what? The pillar and ground of the truth. This is where truth is dispensed from the church, the people of God, who exalt the word of God. You understand that? Who can say to the world, you know, racism is not defined by your terms. Racism is defined by God's terms. And there's only one race, the human race according to the word of God. And we were made in the image and likeness of one God, the true and living God. So Paul's giving Timothy this information so Timothy can communicate it into the church, which is the pillar of the truth. And he says this, now, now turn over to 5, uh, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, 521. Let's pick it up in verse 21. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Wow, that is amazing. That you observe these things without, what does your translation say? You have a good translation. Without doing nothing with what? Nothing. In the house of God, we are to do with this prejudice, arrogant, racist, biased, Stuff that comes natural to us, right? Paul's charging Timothy before God, before the holy elect angels, before the courts of heaven. You make sure that you are not a biased pastor in, in my house. How they do it out there, that's their business. And I'll deal with them. But as for me and my house, we serve who, brothers and sisters? The Lord. And we got to get this right. You don't want pastors up here that are given to their biases and they can't see it. You guys know what I'm talking about? See, that, that's, that's, that, that's, that's a part of the problem that we're facing in our nation right now, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? People not admitting things. People not wanting to own things. People that can't see things about themselves because they're not focused first and foremost on the heart. They don't even know how to focus first and foremost on the heart. They just start with all the external stuff and they get into these fights and it's just... And then the peacemaker comes in and just says, just stop for a second, man. Can't you just settle down? And just, can't we talk? But we can't. Because we don't know where to start because we need God. And we need his law. And we need his word. And we need his grace. But man doesn't want to hear that. Forget that Christian stuff. Oh, don't start that God talk again. Don't start bringing Jesus into it and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you do what you're going to do then. But as for us, we're going to do church. And we're going to be at peace. And we're going to have a glory party around here while you're all killing yourselves out there. Now, we say that with compassion, but if you make your own bed, you got to what? 
God's a God of consequences, brothers and sisters, and I don't make any apologies for that. All right? So Paul commands Timothy, you better not show partiality in God's house as you lead. My emphasis, my translation, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Here's the point. This stuff is not to be tolerated in the house of God. And I want to make that perfectly clear, brothers and sisters, in all sincerity. We don't tolerate this stuff in God's house. If you are prejudiced in heart, and I'm not talking about if you struggle with being prejudiced. I'm saying if you are committed to that, this ain't a place for you. All right? If you don't know how to own your sin, and I don't care if it's talking about skin color or all the various things we talk about, this is not a place for you. You're going to have problems with this pastor. Let me say that right off the bat. Okay? You're going to have problems with me first and foremost, as long as I'm pastor here. And I'm preaching to myself, brothers and sisters. I need you to hold me accountable. I don't trust my heart. I don't trust myself. I need people of other color. You get it? I don't want to be around a bunch of people like me. My kind. I need others. Hello, right? Gospel, word of God, you know, every tribe, kindred, tongue type of stuff. I'm okay with that. It helps me. Doesn't it help you? Praise God. You understand that? And then we get heaven. God's impartial character governs the gospel. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him, whosoever, not the Jew, not the black person, not for the white person, not for the person who's better educated, not for the person who was born into a Christian home. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what we mean by it's free to all. And you should come. Because God is not a respecter of persons. Get it? It's not by the will of man. It's not because I was born into a Christian home and I was favored and you know all this stuff. All that's true, that's fine. But God is not a respecter of persons. The gospel is free to all. It's there for the taking because he's not a respecter of persons. One passage I want to turn you to just to highlight this. Um, Peter struggled with... Peter, Peter could have been a racist. I'm telling you right now. The apostle Peter, I bet you... You know, if, if, I, if I make it to heaven, and I believe I'm going to by God's grace... I'm going to ask Peter, Peter, you were racist before, you, before God saved you, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I know. You were yeah, racist. And that information we got in Scripture when I was down on earth, yeah, I know you. <laughs> the thing about Peter, though, it was a self-righteous racism. Okay? In Acts chapter 10, I'm going to show you why I think this to be the case. You know, sometimes what we do with God's laws is God will command something and we'll get it through a pastor or something or, or I don't know, in one of our dreams we have or whatever. 
And then we start applying it all wrong. We, we, we let our flesh take that commandment and messes it all up. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about? That's what Peter was doing. Do you actually think, brothers and sisters, listen to me, do you actually think that God would do what he did for the world just for Jews? I mean, do, do what he did for salvation just for Jewish people? Do you ever think that, did you, did you ever think that that was possible with God? That he's only going to save a certain people that he created? You understand that? We all know something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with you. Not that we're charging God. We just know by nature, right? So when the Jews were getting all these things from God, these privileges and these special benefits and this and that and the other thing, to allow their hearts to think that they were better than the rest of humans, something's wrong with them at that point. They didn't understand the character of God from the giddy-up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay? And that's why the Bible talks about these things being a mystery having to be revealed through time. And you'll see uh, even the disciples of the Lord being, you know, they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're like, yeah, we thought Jesus was going to come and we thought he was just going to, you know, set up a political kingdom with Israel and, and, and we would be the conquerors of the nation. I guess we were wrong because it, it didn't happen. And I feel about this small now as a, as a Jew. And then Jesus comes along, Right? The guy's on the road to Emmaus and he explains to them what he really meant by what he said under the old covenant. And they're like, ah, Lord, I got it now. I got it. I see your plan and I see what you're doing and you haven't failed it not one bit. I need to adjust my what? Heart. You understand that? To the truth of your word and not to my own personal preferences, biases, and mis understandings of the word of God and how I interpret it because it wasn't coming from you. Get it? Peter was under that, Peter, or, or Acts chapter uh, 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. I'm just going to read all the way to verse 35. And then we're going to close out the sermon and uh, probably going to save the points for some other time. Is that, is that cruel? Okay, so then I'll, try, I'll just blow through them then, okay? But I really wanted to spend time on them, you guys, because that's the meat of it. How do we do this thing? How, 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 how do we, pardon me? Tonight? What are we doing tonight? Okay, so here we go, no, no, verse nine. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound on the four corners descending to him let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things. By the way, these are unclean animals for you who don't know your Bibles. Under Jewish custom and law, Jews were commanded not to eat unclean things because it was a picture of something. We are not to take pride in it. We are not to treat it as if it's a law to which it makes us better than somebody else. Say it's a symbol of something. And God, under the new covenant, was beginning to show these, what these symbols all meant. Okay, And he's doing it to Peter here. Verse 13. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 13. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten any common or unclean. Anything common or unclean. Common means, common, unclean means unclean. Verse 15. 
I just didn't feel like explaining it, but okay. <laughs> Verse 15, and a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Now you think Peter would get it right away and just jump up off his bed, and, but he doesn't. Verse 17, now why Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had meant, behold, the men who had been sent, Cornelius, by the way, Cornelius was a Roman, Gentile, and Jews don't mix and mingle with Roman Gentiles. So Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. So you can see how God is guiding Peter in his sovereignty, right? Vision, Spirit coming to him and said, Hey, look, there's three guys out there. You know, you, 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 you be careful. Verse 24, he commands them, the Spirit of God commands Peter, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. That's God's sovereign power right there. And Peter, being a good, faithful believer, submits. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Now let me say this before we move on. You guys realize, brothers and sisters, that the Spirit of God could have just told Peter himself, right? What's all this drama? You know, go down here, do this, vision, sheet dropping, and all this stuff, right? The Spirit of God just could have came to him and hey, say, look, I'm just bringing in the Gentiles. You just be cool with that, Peter, all right? And then he's back in heaven, right? But it doesn't do that. And then Peter's wondering, what does all this mean, or whatever? And you guys, your guys' Christian, our Christian experience is a lot like that. You'd be like, man, why doesn't God reveal everything to me when I sit down and read my Bible right away? I mean, why do I got to work? And why do I got to ponder and wonder and figure and, and, and agonize, right? He says, uh, verse 24, And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted up himself, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, and these are all Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles are coming together here, you guys. This is phenomenal. This is groundbreaking. And God picked Peter, the leader of the church, if you will, to do this thing. That's what you're beholding here. This is history being made. Verse 29. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Peter still doesn't know. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. That is amazing. Man, I hope the Lord hears our prayers and alms like that. Amen? He still does, you know. And the blessing of it. Listen, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we all are present before God to hear all the things commanded by God. Now watch this. Peter 
is going to tell them the truth, the inspired word of God here. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, this is what Peter's learned, this is what all this meant, he's bringing it all together here. Listen, in truth, guess where he starts? I perceive that God shows what? What does your, what does your verse say? I mean, your translation say, ESV, what does it say there? You got it right. ESV got it right. Okay? God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him, there's his standard, there's his rule, that's what he's, that's what he's saying, and works righteousness is what? Accepted by him. What? Every kindred, tribe, and tongue needs to understand this. God doesn't show any partiality, but if you fear him and you work righteousness according to the gospel of his grace, he'll accept you. That ought to give you hope, brothers and sisters. And especially for you who preach the gospel, it ought to give you hope and share the gospel with people. You need to be telling people this. You understand? You need to let them know the hope that they have because of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God here. Okay? And then he goes on to describe, define the gospel here. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Let's make that clear. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they had killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up, and so on and so forth. So that's the gospel. You guys see it there, right? But, but, but see what's at the heart of the gospel? It's the character of God. It's always the character of God. For God, so what? That's his character. God's not what? That's his character. We miss that sometimes. We miss the glory of God. That is the glory of God, by the way. You know what God showed Moses on the mount? When when Moses asked God to show me your glory, you know what he showed him? His character, the Lord. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, just, kind. You understand that? He showed him who he is. The job of the preacher is to face you guys with God's character, what he's actually like, who he truly is, so that you can either run to him, right? And plead to him, Lord, be merciful to me. Now that I know who you are and what you're like, have mercy upon me, Lord God. Because I believe this is truth. Do you understand? And if you don't, then you've got to believe all the other lies that are swirling around about the character of God out there. Do you understand? There's only one God. There's not many gods. Okay, so that's that. Now let's talk about um, principles for how to... Uh, um, avoid partiality in God's kingdom and house. And let me just say this in passing. The problem with partiality, and, and, and I'm, I don't want to get into this, but I just want to say it. This is an, another uh, thing that we can go to. The problem with partiality is it always, without exception, all the time, leads to oppression. And that's what grieves God about it. Okay, and you need to understand that, brothers and sisters. Okay? 
The heart of the law is love. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. All the law is summed up in love. If you are oppressing people, you are missing what God is all about. You don't understand God. You don't understand the gospel. And I don't care about your doctrine. I don't care how well you got that right or whatever, okay? You do not understand the heart and the character of God, okay? And that's where you got to start above all else. You get who God is wrong and everything else, okay, is built on a wrong foundation. You guys tracking with me? You got to get the character of God right, all right? So, how do we deal with this prejudice that we all have in our own breast, even as Christians? Well, the first principle is recognize that partiality already exists in your heart. It's not rocket science, right? See, some of the most dangerous and scariest people on the planet are people who do not recognize that they are partial. You guys tracking with me? You can't talk to them. They, they, they mean well, they're well-intended, but they're, it's just like this big, huge what? Blind spot. And it's like, they don't see themselves as what? A sinner. So let me give you an example, a scriptural example. And I, and I love starting with scripture first. So do you remember the Apostle Paul when he was running around hunting down Jews and all that and trying to kill them? You understand? The Jews are sitting there saying, you know what? You're working against yourself here. He couldn't see what? His own sin. He couldn't see that he was really a murderer and a racist at heart. And that's why he was killing people. You can read about it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it is. Right? And then Jesus comes to him and says, I'm God. I'm sorry, I'm he. He's like, and you know what was blinding Paul to that reality? There's no neutral ground, you guys. See, if you're committed to your sin, you know the effect that sin has on you is it blinds you to the hope for sinners. You get it? The very fact that you're attached to your sin keeps you this. And you can't see what we're all trying to show you. We're like, okay, as long as he's looking at this and that. And we know that God has to do that. You know, God, there has to be that God moment. It's called God's grace. And it's done through the preaching of the word and the word being explained properly and right. And then people begin to realize, hey, I am that man. Ooh, like Nathan did to King David. You know, you're the man. And David's like, yeah, I am the man. The word of God preached properly will face you with your sin and God's holy character. And then you got to make a decision. And then the preacher gets out the way. Right? Recognize that we all have the potential, and I'm going to say it, to be racist. And don't get drawn into the rhetoric, brothers and sisters, that's swirling all around us. Watch your heart, okay? Watch your biases. Watch your feelings and your emotions. Watch people, family members, who you know might be, what? Racist at heart. You guys know what I'm talking about? Be very, very careful. Right? He says, uh, okay, number two. Um, 
Avoid taking sides and seek to stay as gospel neutral as possible. Meaning once you have identified your biases, and we all should be doing that, you guys, right? I know my biases. I know Ernie King's heart. I know my heart like I look into the mirror and see my face and I know I got green eyes and I know my hair is brown and I know my, you know, this and that and the other thing. Well, the Bible gives us that information so we can know our hearts. You guys tracking with me? And some of you may have never been discipled this way, but that's what discipling is all about, is to help you to know that area of yourself. God searches the heart. God gives information for the heart. Now, if you don't want to know your heart, then you're going to wind up like the Jews under the old covenant. These people draw near with me with their lips, but they keep their what? They don't want to know their hearts. They just want me to be impressed with their external worship. You know, when we come together, we pray, we fast, we do all that. But God says, Cain, where's your heart? Sin's lying at your door there and it's desires for you and you better master it. Cain was like, no, 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 just receive this, externals. And the Pharisees were full of external religion, but they didn't want their hearts addressed. How about you, brothers and sisters? Are we down for having our hearts addressed here? Yeah, amen. I hope so. Because if we're not, I ain't your pastor. I can't do this. I'm not going to play the pretending game. I'm not going to do the external thing until Jesus comes. Something's wrong with that. There's plenty of pastors doing that out there. Okay? We're serious. And one day, this might cost us our lives. And if you ain't dealing with your heart right now, you ain't going to be ready for that moment. Be a peacemaker. You know, let me, let me back up here by, by avoiding taking sides. Let me just say this, and I've got to say this in light of some things that happen in our, our, our nation. It's not helpful or wise, and I've actually had a church do this, to celebrate Blue Lives Matter in their church community. You guys know what I'm talking about? You, you guys tracking with me? How do you think that that makes African Americans feel who, who see the oppression that's taking place with some people in their culture, right? And we're celebrating in a church, Blue Lives Matter. Well, what is that? That is unwise. Regardless of your opinion as to whether you think that's okay to do, it's just not wise. You follow me? You guys listen to me. It is not wise when your president of the United States calls his fellow Americans SOBs. You guys tracking with me? And I'm not talking about how you feel about Donald Trump and, and, as the president. And I know we need to ex- respect his office, and I know we need to do all that as Christians. But it is not wise when you have the leader of your nation calling other fellow Americans, regardless of whether he agrees with them or not, SOBs. By the way, that's a reference to my mama. Forget me. You're saying my mom's, uh, What? You guys tracking with me? See, we need to be Christian. You guys know what I'm talking about. Not all biased and prejudiced to where we we let our biases and and then he does something as foolish as that. And we're like, hmm? And then if you find yourself covering that nonsense, something wrong with you. You know what I'm talking about? See, you're allowing your biases to creep. At that point, we need to be standing up against what is wrong, brothers and sisters, and calling it out and remaining neutral, if you will, gospel neutral. 
Recognizing our biases and the temptations that are there, but calling evil evil and good good before a holy God. Be a peacemaker. Make sure you stay gospel neutral. When the Lord involves you in the equation, and He will, we're in it, brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not. This is our nation, it's our people, this is our society. Where do you stand? Are you for Christ? Are you with Christ? Or are you trying to handle this according to your own flesh, your own biases, and your own you? I told you this was going to cut, guys. Right? Um, let me just say this. Avoid arguments on Facebook, please. That further polarize the situation. Stop doing that, brothers and sisters. Stop doing that nonsense. Okay? Don't get caught up in all this carnal stuff. Um, make sure if you do engage on Facebook, you're doing from a genuine Christian perspective and attitude. That your uh, speech and whatever you're doing is seasoned with grace and you're working towards the peace and the unity of the greater good, God's greater good. Don't be engaged in language that tears down, okay, and disrespects your fellow human beings. Don't do that. Don't go there. You die to yourself before you get there. And you ask God to give you the grace to do that. And let me say this. I'm almost done. Don't take things personally. Uh, This is a a tough one. As Christians, sometimes we do not distinguish between our personal opinions and feelings from our stance as ambassadors for Christ. Other sinners are going to offend us, brethren, right? I got people living in my neighborhood that just are bugging the life out of me. I, you know, I, I, and I, I honestly, I, I sinned against a homeless man yesterday. He, he came right up, and this was the first time it happened. He came, we live here, and he set up camp right here. And I was like, bro, you got to go. I, I mean, I was just like, no, uh-uh. No, there was no love, there was no compassion. It was just like, no, you got to, you, no, you got to get out of here. You can't stay here. And then I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Now, I can still maintain you can't stay here, but I can show some what? Love and compassion. But I felt threatened. I felt, I felt like, Lord, no, this ain't happening. My good hard-earned money and bringing down the neighborhood, and don't you know what this is going to do to house value? And I'm trying to sell my home, and I want to get the 270000 out of this home. Don't you realize that? See, that's what I felt like telling them, right? And that's what moved me. And I had to check myself, and I had to go back, and, I, and then my heart smote me by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. My heart convicted me. I'm like, Lord, I mistreated my fellow human being made in your image and your likeness, and I don't care how, how degenerate he becomes. He's still made in your image and your likeness. And that's the starting point for me as a Christian. You understand that? And so when I have to walk humbly and do justly and show mercy... I'm going to come in with my justice and it's going to be flavored with mercy and compassion. I'm saying, so-and-so, what's going on, man? What's your name? Yeah, yeah. You're going through some hard times, aren't you? Yeah. And see, I'll work them to you can't stay here because that's, the, that's, that's just the way it is. Okay? But my point is I got to love this man first. You guys know what I'm talking about? What is my overall point? I took it personally, you guys. 
I took it personally. I lost sight of the glory of God, the kingdom of God, and it was all about Ernie King again. I took it personally. I got to die to myself daily. And God faced me with that yesterday. That's when it happened, by the way. Prepared me for this sermon. Okay, and lastly, don't judge your brethren who are working through their racist issues in their heart. And what I mean by racist, you guys, it's not easy to overcome this stuff in our hearts, right? I mean, when the Lord starts revealing your biases and your this and that and the other thing, it's not easy to get over that. It just doesn't go away like that. He deals with us. There's weeping. There's, There's getting on your knees. Sometimes there's fasting and praying, oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't, I don't like this person, right? And I don't want to be this way. Lord, give me your grace that I might be more like Jesus. Amen? Okay, I'll stop there because I cut you up enough. So let's pray and call it a, a morning. God, we thank you for the wonderful counsels of your word. And we just pray, oh God, that you would make us to be like Christ. And that we would flavor our communities, our homes, our city, and our nation for your glory and your praise and the salvation of sinners. Amen.